Hello again, everybody. Drew Zagorski here, and welcome to Venture Boldly, the podcast of the Discover Kalispell Chamber, your go-to source for all you need to know about what's happening in the business and local communities right here in Kalispell in the Flathead Valley. Over the years, you've probably noticed that when the Flathead has hosted sporting events like hockey tournaments, Spartan races, soccer tournaments, and more, they bring a lot of visitors to the valley. And from Big Fork to Columbia Falls, Whitefish to Kalispell and beyond, these visitors spend a lot of money as well. Whether it's staying in area accommodations, going to restaurants, or shopping at area stores, sports tourism is a powerful contributor to the area's economy, especially during the shoulder seasons during which many of these tournaments and events take place. Now think about what it would look like if the Flathead Valley could have a dedicated, purpose-built, tournament-quality sporting facility to attract more and larger tournaments, like basketball, volleyball, and hockey tournaments. With that in mind, Discover Kalispell commissioned an in-depth market study by the sports facility companies to analyze and quantify the potential for such a facility. Our guest today is Evan Eliff, a partner with Sports Facilities Companies, a Florida-based firm that's widely recognized as the United States leader for community-focused sports and recreation facility planning, development, and management. Evan's led SFC's pre-development planning team for the last 12 years. Over that time, he's worked with more than 2,000 communities across the country and supported the development and operations of more than 150 sports and recreation complexes all over the world. Evan will share with us his insights about what a tournament-quality facility could mean for the Flathead. So sit tight for a minute while we hear about our sponsors, and then I'll be back with my conversation with Evan Eliff of the Sports Facilities Companies. Warehouser has been part of the Flathead Valley for decades, managing forests on a sustainable basis and manufacturing the wood products used in homes and countless other products we all depend on every day. At Warehouser, we understand that every decision we make can impact the health of our forests and the strength of our community. That's why we're committed to ensuring that Montana's forests and communities continue to thrive today and for future generations. And Warehouser is hiring, so if you're interested in a career in an innovative, collaborative industry, check out our openings at wy.com forward slash careers. That's wy.com forward slash careers. If you want connection with other businesses, to be at the heart of the Kalispell and Flathead business community, to support action for creating a vibrant, thriving, growing climate, not just for your business, but for our entire business community, you want to be part of the Kalispell Chamber. As a catalyst for business growth, a convener of business leaders and influencers, and a champion for Kalispell and the entire Flathead community, becoming part of the Kalispell Chamber is an investment in the future of your business and our community. To learn more about becoming a partner of the Chamber, call 406-758-5054. Again, the number is 406-758-5054 or go to kalispellchamber.com. So, Evan, thanks so much for coming out to Kalispell and filling us in on this project you were engaged to to work on for us. And that is that the Discover Kalispell engage you to conduct a feasibility for a tournament quality sports facility in Kalispell. So tell us why that's a good first step and how your team approached that. Well, it's the right first step. A lot of communities start getting the idea and then they start getting ahead of themselves and they start calling up manufacturers of equipment uh, or court flooring or scoreboards or whatever else it may be. And they really haven't evaluated the concept. Mm -hmm. So our engagement through Discover Kalispell 
was really a, a two-part engagement. The first was to identify if there was an opportunity within the market, and second, to understand the financial feasibility of a conceptual project. Okay. So when we initiated our, our study, we started with an understanding, first and foremost, what did Discover Kalispell and its partners hope to achieve with this concept? What were the intended outcomes? And then we got to work evaluating the market and the industry to understand what facility or set of facilities would best position Kalispell and the entire valley to take advantage of the opportunities and the industry and the trends and the participation rates and the competition and really achieve its intended outcomes. When we moved on to the financial feasibility portion, that was time to get deeply analytical, to put pen to paper, and to understand all of the factors related to cost to build the facility, mm -hmm. revenue generating opportunities, how to deliver programs to the locals, while also maximizing the number of tournaments and events that could be brought into the market, and ultimately to also understand the operational and maintenance costs of the facility so that we could put together the full financial performance picture of revenue and operating expenses. And then tied to that was the economic impact analysis, an evaluation of how many people come into the market who wouldn't be here but for a tournament or event at a new complex. How long do they stay? How much do they spend? What categories and what amounts do they spend? Because when someone comes from out of town, if they're coming from such a distance that they need to spend the night, it's not just that they have to get lodging, but they need to eat and they want to shop and there are entertainment opportunities and even some exposure to some of the phenomenal geographic and ecotourism type of assets and programs and opportunities you've got for recreation here in this marketplace. And so understanding all of those components and why this could become a compelling destination if a purpose-built facility was developed here and then properly operated, properly marketed, and properly delivered to maximize tournaments while also serving the local community during non-tournament times was really our, in our intent and our focus and really excited about the opportunities here based on the results of that study. Now, a lot of us have heard about or know about other different types of recreation facilities right here in the Valley that are being built or considered or already exist. So what's the difference between a recreation facility and a tournament facility? And what are the impacts in terms of economics, the community, and the quality of life? You started to touch a little bit on that. Can you elaborate? Absolutely. So let me start with local recreation facilities. Uh, and pretty obviously, they are intended to serve your local population. If someone's going to come for a hockey practice or for a basketball game or whatever else they may be doing in the sports facility, they'll drive typically 15, 20, 30 minutes. And then in this marketplace, because of some of your geographic spread of the population, we certainly expect to extend beyond that with some people coming on a regular basis from more than 30 minutes away up to 40 or 45 minutes away. But really that's your total market base in terms of the number of people who can come because a local recreation facility is right-sized for the local programs that it offers. On the other hand, a sports tournament facility or a tournament-capable facility intended to draw sports tourism is in most cases, certainly here, 
intended to be overbuilt for the local population because we want to run tournaments and events with the capacity to bring in those non-local visitors. So instead of a maximum of 30, 40, 45 minute drive time, we're talking about a four or five or up to a six hour drive time for events that are regularly held at a, at a sports tournament facility here in the Valley. So while those two seem like they are totally separate and totally independent, the reality is one of the huge benefits of a sports tournament capable facility is that it has the capacity to serve local needs as well. We may have more courts available for basketball than we need on a typical Tuesday, but right. come Saturday when we're running a basketball tournament, we'll fill those courts. And so while a local recreation facility is not capable of hosting tournaments, a tournament-capable facility is capable of serving local needs, developing or expanding local programs, and making a great impact on the community from a time, cost, and location to activity perspective. And I think understanding the impacts of both local recreation and tourism are very important in evaluating how beneficial a facility like this could be to Kalispell and to residents across the valley. Suffice it to say, when you run a tournament or an event, and I already alluded to this, you've got people staying in hotels, you've got them eating in restaurants, you've got them shopping or going to entertainment uh, facilities and buying gas, right? The, the economic impact of a tournament can be massive, hundreds of thousands of dollars per tournament, oftentimes into the millions for very large tournaments. And that's a, a phenomenal economic impact. But counterbalance that with the impact of just having better opportunities for year-round recreation in this community. Mm -hmm. An indoor facility has the opportunity, whether it's sunny or raining or snowing, or we're dealing with impacts of wildfires uh, throughout the region, having an indoor space that people can access with limited barriers to time to play to the cost to participate and to the location in which the facility actually is built creates phenomenal, not just economic, but educational, health, safety, and social impacts. The, the data on the impact of activity on the life of a person from early stage childhood through adolescent years into adulthood, and then on to becoming a parent of kids who are also active. Right, so multi-generational. That's right. Those benefits, again, not just economic, but educational, social, safety, and health impacts really make that multi-generational impact on the community and should be considered and focused on when making decisions to partner or fund the development of a facility like this. So, you know, one of the things that you hear about is... People talk about sports tourism as being a quote unquote re recession resistant uh, industry. So what I'm curious about, is that actually true? And how does it help support the local community through the ups and downs, as well as the different changes in climate and other things and factors that come into play? Yeah, it's absolutely true. And the data really, I think there are two critical junctures in our recent history as a country that we can point to for why sports tourism is considered recession resistant. 
The first is going back to the Great Recession. And prior to 2020 and 2021, it's really what we hung our hats on in the sports tourism industry. When the economy fell down, when it almost collapsed, and people had to tighten their purse strings and and cinch their belts tighter, there were a lot of spending decisions that had to be made. Many people across the country stopped planning vacations. They stopped going out to the movies. They stopped going out to eat. Mm -hmm. And those expenditures became sort of luxury and much more occasional types of opportunities for recreation. But people still wanted their kids to play. They wanted them to be athletes. They wanted them to participate. They wanted them to thrive in sports, not only as athletes, but as student athletes and maintain uh, coming out of the or through and coming out of the Great Recession and then onward from there, not only maintain, but grow the benefits that they receive from being an athlete. And so we saw across the entire tourism industry through the Great Recession decline in every single segment of the of the tourism industry, with the exception of sports tourism. Sports tourism is the only segment of the tourism industry that didn't decline in any two consecutive quarters through the Great Recession. So right. that's where this phrase re- recession resistant came from. And then fast forward to the pandemic, 2020 and 2021, when out of nowhere with no warning signs, our lives changed. People no longer for an extended period of time, and in some states for the better part of two years, no longer had the opportunity to be on teams, to interact with their uh, with their coaches and with their teammates and get the benefits of recreation and just be out and social together if they were spectators or parents coming with their son or daughter to, to play a sport. That went away, and people were clambering for that opportunity through the pandemic. They were looking for those opportunities to get back out on courts, get back out on fields, get back out on ice, get back in pools, get back to working out and being physically active and to do that in a social environment with their friends. And so coming out of the pandemic, we actually saw sports and recreation really lead the rebound because that was Mm -hmm. the first area that people prioritized. Let's get back to activity. Let's get back to our teams. Let's get back to play. And so sports tourism, again, proved itself to be recession resistant when so many other decisions and so many other industries were still suffering from the the impact of the pandemic. The sports tourism industry caught back up to where it was, got back on track, and all of the leading indicators say that when the 2023 report comes out, that 2023 will have the highest amount of spending on sports-related travel of any year in this country's history. Wow. Wow. Well, there you go. Have you checked out WorkforceFlathead.com? Workforce Flathead is a collaboration between local education, business, and government partners to connect students, businesses, and employers with each other. WorkforceFlathead.com is a custom-built online home for all things workforce in the Flathead Valley. You'll find business and education resources, jobs and job fair information, links to apprenticeships, and a whole lot more. There's even a library of locally produced career videos, perfect for students and job seekers, to introduce them to career paths in northwest Montana. To learn more, visit WorkforceFlathead.com today. You know, the tournament facility, like the one we're envisioning here, 
would certainly be beneficial to Kalispell, but it would also be beneficial to the county as a whole. So talk to us about that extended benefit to the county and the region in terms of just how it's going to impact us economically and in terms of development. Absolutely. So I think there are two factors to think about here in terms of the more widespread benefit of a Kalispell proper facility. The first is, simply put, for the larger tournaments and events, people will look beyond the five or 10 minutes surrounding the facility, wherever the site ends up being, Mm -hmm. they have to look for hotels, restaurants, retail, entertainment, uh, other opportunities to experience the Valley. And so it's not just Kalispell that benefits during a tournament weekend, but it's the entire county, the entire Valley really, that benefits because there will be what in our industry is called compression, where as more people come in, they spread out to further and further reaches. And so, yes, absolutely a benefit directly to Kalispell, but not limited to Kalispell. The second factor that I would point to is that when you come into town for a tournament, oftentimes you are in the facility or around the facility for effectively your entire trip. You come in on a Friday afternoon, you go to the coaches meeting, you might have a game or two games on Friday. You're again playing on Saturday morning wave and afternoon wave. Depending on the structure of the tournament, the the playoff bracket may start on Saturday or Sunday morning, and then the tournament runs through Sunday mid-afternoon. That's a typical weekend structure for a tournament. When, When people have that much time in the facility, they don't get to experience the area. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that successful facilities do is they integrate and reflect all of the reasons that you would come back to this location. And so by simple exposure for someone coming in to to Kalispell for a tournament or for an event coming from Kansas City or you could pick almost any other place outside of this region that may not be targeting or circling Glacier as a national park that they want to visit – when they right. come to Kalispell, when they get this experience and they recognize that there is a phenomenal, beautiful national park, that there are lakes and trail systems, that there are so many other reasons to visit the valley, they will circle their calendar. They will come back. They will they will rejoin this community over a weekend when they don't have a tournament so they can experience all of the things that they've been exposed to but haven't yet gotten to do. And so that repeat business from a tourism perspective will have, again, yes, a direct Kalispell benefit, but also a benefit across the entire valley. Okay. One of the words that you use in your report and when you talk about this is partnerships. What I'm curious to hear from you about is what do you mean by that and how does that contribute to the price tag for something like this? Well, let let me start actually, let me go in my time machine and rewind. 20 years. Um, Let's take an indoor court-based facility, not talking about aquatics, not talking about ice, just a dry facility uh, that has indoor courts, possibly turf, fitness center, whatever else it may have, but it's a dry facility. 20 years ago, those facilities were being built for $100 to $120 per square foot, total development cost. In today's market across the country, we're seeing prices about three times that high. Wow. And over that same 20-year period, while the cost to construct facilities has tripled, 
the amount that you can charge for people to participate in these facilities has not tripled. It has, in depending on the market, driven itself up 50 or 100%, maybe a little bit higher than that. But what we're seeing is that the revenue generated from facility operations has not kept pace with the cost of development. Okay. So private facilities no longer have the revenue necessary and the profit necessary to pay their debt service. On the other side of the equation, think about the public sector and as many benefits as the public sector has when thinking about developing a facility, primarily those related to the the opportunity to invest capital into the project, they, they don't have the same efficiencies of the private sector. And those efficiencies are not just on how much it costs to build, but also the flexibility that they've got to manage and operate a sustainable facility. So 20 years ago, there were only two ways that projects like this came into development. Either they were publicly funded, typically with general obligation bonds, or privately funded with a traditional blend of equity and lending. Mm -hmm. Today, what we see and have seen for the last five or six years across my company's uh, experience is that 85% of the projects that move forward from a feasibility into an implemented project, into construction and onto operations, 85% of them have a significant public-private partnership. And so that's where it starts. Oftentimes, most of the time, some level of public and private partnership. Now, expanding beyond that, there are so many benefits of a facility like this that when you can properly communicate uh, those benefits and advocate for the facility, you start to tie in a lot of additional partners that may never have been thinking about sports and recreation. One of them that does oftentimes think about sports and recreation because of the health benefits are medical sector partners. But we have in almost every one of our facilities, a medical sector partner, whether that's a regional hospital network or a local doctor, there are partners across the medical sector. Schools, where schools used to develop stadiums at every single high school and practice fields and dedicated facilities, oftentimes now they're looking to partner in other projects so that they can focus on school facilities and athletic facilities can be a joint venture or or a partner process. And then beyond that, of course, you've got those same beneficiaries, as I mentioned, through the economic impact portion of this discussion, which are your hotels, your restaurants, your retailers, your commercial development. They all recognize when when properly educated, or if they already know because they themselves have kids or have traveled for uh, sports tournaments and events, they know the type of traffic that can be driven to a facility. And so one of the trends we see on the public-private partnership side or the private development side is mixed-use developments that are being uh, that, that that are being focused on with sports and sports tourism as an anchor, because that facility and those events will drive tremendous traffic, and then the natural spread of where people stay and where they eat and where they shop is in these sort of concentric circles around the facility. So. A facility that's built next to a hotel pad, next to a commercial development, next to a set of restaurants, retailers, or next to a park, typically will be identified alongside those assets. And kind of a rising tide raises all ships scenario, 
where the benefit of driving people to tournaments and events at a facility creates a true capital opportunity for those private uh, private businesses that surround and benefit from visitation. You know, as, as my dad used to say to me when I was a kid and I'd get on a project and I'd just dive in, he's like, no, no, it's socks first, then shoes, Drew. So here we've got the socks, right? So tell me, talk to me about what are the next steps from where we're at today with this initiative? Yeah, I, I love love that analogy because you're absolutely right. You have to do things in process in order. Otherwise, you're going to end up with, um, you know, really smelly shoes because you forgot your socks. So um, from here, now that the feasibility study is in place, it's really about partnership development and funding development. And so several things have to happen. That That's part of the, what we call the project implementation phase. So now that we have a concept and we can communicate the cost benefit of that concept, the next step is to tie groups and people, individuals, elected officials, et cetera, into this concept because they all recognize the cost benefit. And so starting to understand where some of the capital for the project to be actually constructed is going to come from is a a significant step. At the same time, there are plenty of groups that don't have access to a lot of capital that would help to spur this project along, but they may have uh, some some relationship opportunities that could absolutely support the project, where if they are already running programs or tournaments and events, contractually obligating through a letter of intent, which could be developed for a project like this, um, to demonstrate their interest and their intent to bring those programs or those tournaments or those events to the facility can be a major step in proving and improving upon the the financial forecast that we've created through our feasibility study, which is intentionally conservative. We think there's a lot of upside there Mm -hmm. through these types of partnerships. So those are several of the next steps. It's really around funding and partnership so that you can create this project and understand you're not going to put the shovel in the ground too early. You're not going to commit to buying equipment or building a building uh, before you know that that building can be successful. You know, everyone loves Field of Dreams. You don't have to be a, a sports right, uh, right. To love that movie, and it actually- makes me weep openly. <laughs> uh, you and me both. Um, one of my absolute favorites, and I'll, I'll tell you, I've uh, had the pleasure of working with the Field of Dreams, um, wow. their, their, their current ownership group, and several other people who are very closely tied to that and looking to continue that legacy of that location uh, there in Dyersville, Iowa. But um, one, of, one of everyone's favorite quotes, which is actually not the quote from the movie, is, if you build it, they will come. Right. The actual quote is, if you build it, he will come. But the concept there is people walking in with uh, in 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 the non-movie world, in the real world, with a bit of blind faith that it's all going to work out okay. But the reality is, especially in today's construction climate, these are expensive buildings. There, there are not limited or minimized risks associated with investing tens of millions of dollars into a sports and recreation complex. You don't want to build it on the hope that they're coming. You want to develop the partnership and the business case and the relationships so that you build it when you already know they're excited to come. 
And that's a key component of the next steps in this process. Okay. Any final thoughts before we wrap up, Evan? Yeah, I would just say in my career, I've been really fortunate. Well, first of all, because let's be honest, what I do is pretty fun. I mean, I'm in the sports. You better believe it is. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in the sports industry. This is not something that a lot of people get to make their career on. And, um, And so I feel blessed every day when I wake up and excited to get to work because the impact of sports and recreation on communities is is really second to none. I always talk about it as a vital portion of the experience of living in a community and and having access to sports and recreation and just all of the benefits that come from that very social aspect of getting out and playing. And as blessed as I feel, I I feel particularly excited when I'm working in communities that have a clear need and a lot of support, even if they don't have the funding figured out yet. And Kalispell and this valley is definitely one of those communities. There's there's pent-up demand for more sports and recreation opportunities. There's pent-up demand for ice, for basketball, for volleyball, for pickleball, for a lot of sports and activities that people are clambering for here. And a facility like this has the opportunity to check so many boxes in a community like this. It's really been a very exciting community to get to know, to learn more about, and to see what the future could be as it relates to sports and recreation here in Kalispell and across the Valley. And uh, just really excited about the prospects for the future of this community and, and what could happen here. Well, Evan, Thanks so much for joining us today to share a little bit about the development initiative and hopefully what will be happening sometime in the near future for Kalispell. Really appreciate your time and coming all the way out to have this conversation. And thanks to our listeners as well for listening to this episode of Venture Boldly, the podcast of the Discover Kalispell Chamber. We'd love to hear your thoughts about today's topic and about the podcast in general. You can listen at kalispellchamber.com forward slash podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can reach us via the contact page at kalispellchamber.com or via Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Kalispell Chamber. I'm your host, Drew Zagorski. He's Evan Eliff of the Sports Facilities Companies. Venture Boldly, friends. Appearance on the Venture Boldly Podcast does not constitute an endorsement of goods or services. The Venture Boldly Podcast is a production of the Discover Kalispell Chamber and is produced by the Chamber in partnership with Left Brain Right Brain Marketing. You can find the Discover Kalispell Chamber at kalispellchamber.com and Left Brain Right Brain Marketing at lbrbm.com.